Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is the most unusual morning service we've ever had in the history of our church, our ministry. Uh, we're recording live at the at the church. But, uh, no people here, but uh, we trust you're all listening at home. And uh, people up in Belleville, uh, Wellspring, Quinty, uh, we want you to be listening in, and, and uh, uh, Ohio and Baltimore, uh, Smithville. So uh, just this is a very, very unusual thing. I have an unusual message as well. Um, but before I begin, before I get into that, I'd like to uh, convey to you that starting next week, um, we'll be streaming live on Wellspring's YouTube channel and uh, also Instagram for those who prefer that over Facebook. And uh, the week following, we're going to invite families and couples to actually be here and we'll record live worship that you could be part of that as well and um, be able to worship together this way. Uh, we don't know how long this is all going to go on. Uh, we're taking it a week at a time, but uh, it's foreseeable right now that this will be our normal until uh, at least the Easter weekend. And so um, uh, a couple pertinent verses that apply to us right at this season of our life is Ephesians 5, 15, where Paul wrote to a whole church, and he said, uh, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. And the idea of redeeming the time in unusual days, evil days, difficult days, uh, the idea of redeeming the time is to make the most of the opportunity and uh, I think it would be a shame to go through this trial that we're in and uh, not really gain from it. I think we should go deeper spiritually. We should come out the other end leaner, fitter, uh, uh, more in love with Jesus, more in love with each other. Uh, Paul wrote the same kind of thing to the Colossians. So it was something that he was aware of that, that churches pass through things and the body passes through things. Redeeming the time, that has to be our goal. So the question is, what are you going to do that you're going to make the most of this? So you come out of it with more than what you went into it with. And uh, <clears throat> we want to see that happen. James uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, he talks about counting it all joy when you go into, go into a trial. And I think, I think this is an emotional uh, hardship. It's certainly, uh, we're viewing it as an inconvenience and uh, we have, we have rights, and we have preferences, and we have wants. And um, I'm, I'm concerned that it not stress you as a family, but it also not stress us as a church. Uh, my immediate concern, uh, some of the early things that I heard, is that there are people who were imposing their fears on other people, and then there's some who impose their faith on other people as well. I don't think we can do either of those extremes. Reckless faith, uh, 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 fear that... Uh, we expect people to honor our fears. Um, I think what happens is it, it, it polarizes us. It puts a strain on something that's already stressful. And so I'm just encouraging you just to keep those uh, things under control, to, to find a way in the Lord to really be able to dial back on both of those. My, uh, <clears throat> my first encounter, real encounter, close-up encounter with this virus uh, happened on a recent mission trip that I was on. And um, 
I was getting ready for uh, a morning meeting, about uh, 3,000 people gathering together, uh, tribal people um, who I've wanted to see for a long time. And uh, we we're very excited about this meeting. There was a real buzz in the air. But then uh, a messenger came and said that the government forbids us to gather because of the, the, the virus, the coronavirus. Well, we're so far in the jungle, so far away. Uh, no way that the tribal people would ever be aware of that or be notified of that kind of thing. Uh, I was surprised that they would impose that on us being so, uh, so remote like that. Uh, that was a shock to me, but they actually sent a message saying that we're f forbidden to gather. And uh, that was true of not just our group, but anyone in the area. And um, that, that set me back because that morning uh, I had opened my Bible uh, to meditate on something and I came across a verse in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. I just happened to open to that. And it says, remind your people to obey the government and its officers, and always be obedient and ready for any honest work. And I remember when I read that, obey the government, I thought uh, something's going to happen today. It just struck me so odd. What an odd verse to come to uh, right off the bat now. Obey the government. Um, of course, that applies here. Uh, we're uh, under state mandate to be uh, isolated. Um, and, and we really have to honor that. We really have to honor that. But now I'm faced with that. I've got this, you know, big meeting that I was very excited about going to and people who are gathering already. We're just getting ready to get in the Jeep to go. And um, uh, but I'm now I'm stuck. And the, the leader, my partner in ministry there, he's saying, no, let's go anyway. And um, but I told him, I said, I just I read this verse, obey the government. The second verse I got that morning, as I just flipped again to my Bible for something else to meditate on, I came to Proverbs 22.3, and I just happened to be meditating out of the Living Bible that I had with me. And it says, a prudent man foresees difficulties, difficulties ahead, and prepares for them. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Well, that was very arresting for me. I really felt like the Lord was speaking to me. I had no idea what the messenger hadn't come at this point in time. So I relayed these two verses and said, I can't go. I don't feel I can go and, and speak. And so he released me from that. I went and I, I got changed again. And the phone kept ringing and I could hear it ringing and quite a, quite a conversation, quite a stir going on. And he came back and says, okay, we're, you, you're not going to speak but would you at least go to the meeting? They want to see you. They haven't seen you for a long time. They just want to, they were asking if you'll just come so they can see you. And uh, I did not want to do that, but I, I, I complied. and went along with that. We got in the Jeep, got down the road. We picked up another pastor as we got closer. And this pastor got in the car and he said, you can't do this. If you go to this meeting, um, the police will be, uh, at your house this evening and uh, all the other meetings we have planned will be scrapped and you'll be in there'll be pressure and so um, these two things brought that whole coronavirus right to my uh, most immediate view uh, before I'd left home it really wasn't a lot happening that I could see with it but now all of a sudden I'm, I'm faced with it but it caused me to think about a lot of things Again, I just happened to be reading in my Bible. Just, just I had a lot of time to read. They uh, uh, isolated me. I had to stay in my room. I couldn't leave the compound. I couldn't uh, go for walks. I couldn't just 
go outside and sit in the backyard like I normally would. I had to stay in my room. And uh, so I had uh, from 11 o'clock in the morning, 11.30 until about 7 o'clock at night just to do a lot of thinking. And I, had a, I have to admit, I had a real battle with fear. Fear really tried to kick in as to what if and, and this scenario and presenting this scenario. And all those things made my, my chest tight, made me lose, uh, you know, not breathe very deeply and uh, become uh, my digestive system becoming upset. And, and uh, I just had to find that pocket of peace. And um, when I would uh, think along a certain particular line that was a uh, uh, trust in the Lord, becoming very, very childlike, very dependent upon him no matter what happens, uh, rejoicing, rejoicing in this circumstance, regardless how I felt, uh, brought me into a place of peace. And by the end of the day, I had won the battle. I felt like I had gotten on top of it. Evening came, nothing resulted of, all, of any of my fears. None of them came to pass. And um, uh, we had a joyful evening. They were showing me video clips that they had taken of the, of the gathering. And um, the next day, we just had a really powerful uh, pastor's gathering, and it was a real special time. And, um, uh, and then the next day, I got a phone call saying that all the uh, domestic flights are being canceled the day that I leave the country. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, I might not get home. And what would I do if I couldn't get to uh, um, a, an international place where I can fly from? And so... Um, Everything I was learning about fear that, that, that one day, I had to apply two days later all over again for a 24-hour period. And so uh, I just come, I feel like I, I came back being able to relate to people who have fears. Uh, I understand how it happens, how it works, happens to me. Uh, I also understand reckless faith because I got to see that, that you just... Uh, blindly go ahead and keep your schedule and keep things going. And, and uh, I, I saw how that can be imposed on people as well. Then I came to this verse, and this is, again, just in my morning devotional time while I'm sitting in the, in the backyard as the sun's coming up. And I thought this was profound. I thought this was a fascinating little contrast. Uh, go with me to Mark chapter 3 verses 9 and 10, and I happen to have my living Bible with me, so that's how I got this here. And it's about Jesus. And it says, he instructed his disciples to bring around a boat and have it standing ready to rescue him in case he was crowded off the beach or trodden upon. And so uh, I find that very interesting that Jesus had the, he was a prudent, he was a prudent man uh, who, who foresees difficulties ahead and prepares for them. Here he is telling his disciples, he's not doing it out of, he's not doing it out of fear. Uh, it's, it's a kind of wisdom where he says that, okay, guys, uh, there's such a massive crowd. Uh, uh, they're, they're stepping on each other. Um, it could happen to me. I want you to have a boat ready just offshore in case uh, the crowds are such that um, they push me off the beach. And so I, I thought that was interesting that it wasn't given in the fear and it, it's faith, it didn't negate faith. He's saying, have a boat ready, uh, uh, contingency plan. I thought that was fascinating. Then it goes on to say this, for there are many healings that day 
And as a, as a result, great numbers of six people were crowding around him, trying to touch him. I just happened to look that up in my King James Version, and it says this, for he healed many insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, many as had plagues. And so it's just such a weird picture. If you could just picture uh, Jesus is there and all these people with all kinds of plagues. You know, we're talking about this virus as being a plague. Here these people had all kinds of plagues and they're coming toward Jesus to touch him. And what a contrast. On one hand, he's, he's taking preventative measures over here. On the other hand, what do you do when, when uh, hundreds of people who have all kinds of plagues want to touch you? And so, uh, and this is happening to Jesus. Happen to look it up in the Amplified Bible. And it said, for he had healed so many uh, that all who had distressing bodily diseases kept falling on him and pressing upon him in order that uh, they might touch him. So what would you do if, if you're in some place and, and people with the coronavirus or other diseases uh, want to touch you and they're looking to heal, they're looking for healing, they're looking for uh, relief. And it, it just was a whole new picture I'd never seen before uh, of Jesus being in, in two positions at the same time, and it's that tension that we're all in. And uh, I just found it interesting. As I read in Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 31, says, Jesus departed from there and skirted the Sea of Galilee, and he went up into a mountain and sat down. You can picture that. And a great multitude came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others, and laid them down at, the, at Jesus' feet. You can just picture, he just sits down, and all of a sudden, thousands of people come with every kind of possible ailment that there is, and they lay them down at your feet. And I think that's the other side of it. I think we have to be prepared to, to pray for the sick, pray for people with this virus and other viruses. Um, uh, they did that to Jesus, and he's moving in this incredible level of faith, compassion, says that the, the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And of course, that's the bottom line. We want God to be glorified. I read that out of the Living Bible. It says, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat there. And a vast crowd brought him their lame, their blind, their maimed, and those who couldn't speak and many others. And they laid them before Jesus and he healed them all. What a spectacle it was. Those who hadn't been able to say a word before were talking excitedly, and those who were missing arms and legs had new ones. The crippled were walking and jumping around, and those who were blind were gazing about them. And the crowds just marveled and praised the God of Israel. What a powerful picture of taking a disastrous condition and, and everybody's sick and everybody's got something and they're coming to you for help. They're coming to you for healing. Probably the most contagious disease ever known to man. I mean, there's black plague, bubonic plague, different kinds of plagues. There's always been plagues. Even when I was a kid, uh, polio came through our, our city and uh, people were being uh, um, 
I mean, it was very frightening. And my neighborhood boy, uh, the boy that we played with, um, he, from that time on, became a cripple. So there's always been stuff. It's, uh, there's always been issues concerning contagious diseases. Probably the most uh, horrific, because it was so visible that people actually rotted uh, as they walked, rot their skin rotted on them. It was the plague of leprosy. And um, Jesus ministers to the lepers. And I just think that's uh, such a powerful, powerful picture in light of this virus that uh, he actually touched them. He touched the leper. He said, if you, if you want to, you can make me clean. And he said, I want to. And he reached out and he touched them. Another time, there were 10 lepers who, who saw Jesus afar off and they kept their distance. They were isolated. And... Um, and uh, they cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And uh, Jesus pronounced them clean, even though no, nothing visibly had changed, and said, go to the priest and show yourself to the priest. And uh, that's in keeping with Leviticus 13 to 15. It was required as a way to deal with a contagious disease that spread from person to person. And as they went, as they turned, they were healed. And of course, you know the story that uh, only one went back, fell on his knees, worshiping the Lord, thanked them. He was so desperate. And, um, he's, and Jesus said, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the nine? And um, he said, go, stand, stand up. Your faith has made you well. That's Luke 17, 11, and 12. So leprosy is the most contagious disease at that time. It still exists today. I've been to leper colonies it's, a, it's a, a profound thing to see something like that. Um, but it's always been, and, and, and we're always going to have to deal with these things. So it's just, this is ha happening where it's affecting our, our normal and moving us from anything that we've ever seen before that's normal. Um, this whole thing with fear, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's a way to avoid it. I think it's something we have to contend. We have to, we have to deal with. We have to find ways to deal with it. Keeping our eyes on the Lord, he says he'll keep us in perfect peace. Um, I taught on this trip uh, to a group of pastors about Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, how to pray, supplication, with thanksgiving so that the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, acts as a guard or a sentinel over your mind and over your heart. And here I found that my mind was going, it was racing. My mind was going a lot of different directions. I had a hard time reining in my thoughts, but I wanted that peace. And I tracked it and I saw as my mind went in certain directions into what if and all these long-term scenarios that I lost that peace. And when I just surrendered, and I let him have control, and I just became childlike. I could find this little pocket of, of peace where my body would settle down. And uh, uh, I had to do that so many times on this trip. I mean, right up to the very end, right up to the uh, time just boarding the last, the last flight to get home. Uh, it's an awful thing to think you're not gonna be able to get home. What would you do if you can't leave? What, where, where would you go? How would this work? And I, I just had to really work that through and that made me uh, appreciate uh, the value of, of, of disciplining my mind, meditating on the things that are life-giving, that are helpful. We're all going to have to do that in these days. We're going to have to, 
we're going to have discipline in our mouth, discipline in our motives, discipline in, in our generosity, discipline in how we relate to each other, how to relate, relate to our kids, our families, our spouses. I mean, we're going to have to have discipline to get through this. It's just going to be required. I just want to switch gears for a few minutes uh, before I uh, go any further. As far as ministering to our families and ministering to our kids, and we got to be careful what we vent. we got to be careful what we vent and are hearing, even to each other. Um, we, we do have to rejoice. We do have to rejoice in this trial. That's what James said. We do have to make the most out of it. Uh, most of us saw the Mr. Rogers movie uh, sometime this winter that come out, and he was just such a tremendous inspiration and example of ministering, uh, so to speak, communicating to kids uh, to be able to manage their fears. And especially when things were happening in society that they're watching hearing on the news or were traumatic. And he just, um, that's where I respect him most. It's just that he saw where no one else was seeing that there has to be a way to communicate properly so that our kids aren't terrorized. We don't lose them in the process. Moms and dads, it's your responsibility to find a way so that your kids come out of this thing uh, with more faith, more trust in the Lord, less fear. There has to be a way without putting your head in the sand and, and ignoring the realities that we're all dealing with. Um, and so there has to be a way to do that. Mr. Rogers uh, just took kids into consideration, and I'm urging you to do the same kind of thing. I would say for older kids who can understand this, I would, I would show them that this virus, the, the genesis of this virus was because people chose to violate uh, what the Bible says about things to eat. Uh, they're eating bats and other animals. In, they buy them in wet markets. And they've been creating these massive wet markets. There's, it's a real industry in China. And it's, it's a violation of what scripture says. And if you go through uh, Leviticus chapter 11, there's a whole list of things that we're forbidden to eat, forbidden to even touch. And when we violate those principles, those, those commandments the Lord laid down, there are consequences for that. So I, if you could, with the older kids at least, really talk them through um, Leviticus 11 and show them the consequences of what happens when we disobey God's word. The only reason this virus exists today is we're in violation of Leviticus chapter 11. And every other virus, the SARS virus, the bird flu, just goes back. Well, maybe not the bird flu, but the, the SARS was definitely uh, the same kind of thing. In fact, this virus and the SARS virus, there's 80% of it's the same kind of thing. And it came out of the, a wet market that I had actually been to. Uh, they traced it to a specific market. And so, uh, but eating bats and, and um, other animals and these things got blended and it created this super uh, virus that's uh, going all over the world. It's an astounding thing, an astounding disease and, and plague. Uh, older kids, I would take them through Leviticus 13 to 15, and I'm not sure how, uh, you know, how interested they are in Leviticus, but it talks about how to stop a plague and how to isolate people who have the disease for, for one week, and then you monitor it, then a second week, if things haven't improved, there's, there's a two-week uh, isolation that's, re that's required in these scriptures. It just shows the wisdom of God and, 
and, and how there has to be um, accountability and someone else objectively testing us and that uh, there's ways to stop any kind of disease. You can take, you can take leprosy or respectfully set that aside and put in the SARS virus or, or coronavirus or whatever it is, and all these principles will apply. In fact, I, I was looking for it. I couldn't find it, but I'll try again this week to find a story I read where there was a plague that was raging in Europe, and um, uh, it, there's just no, no stopping it. And so they actually went to the church leaders and the leaders of the synagogue, and they said, how do we stop this? What would you say to us? And they took them to Leviticus 13 and 15, talked them through. They actually applied it and it stopped the virus. It absolutely stopped the virus. And so um, there's hope. We just have to apply God's word, do things God's way in order to see the, the results that we're longing for. Um, I wanna share something else with you that's uh, kind of a heavy on my heart. Uh, while I was away on this trip, <clears throat> someone wrote me that I didn't know wanting to connect, wanting to talk to me about our network. And, and uh, we played some phone tag because I was in jet lag and, and uh, he wasn't readily available. And so uh, finally we got to talk uh, yesterday morning, about four in the morning, and uh, spent an hour on the phone together. And this man is, is living uh, in the epicenter of this virus where 5,000 people have died just, just, just now, just recently. And he's working and living there, and um, an American man. And uh, I can't really disclose anything more because I don't want to expose what he's doing. But uh, he didn't call to share that with me, but I had been praying and said, Lord, help me to understand what's happening. And here I'm on the phone to a complete stranger who sought me out um, to talk, and, and he's living in... Uh, super confinement, like our, our, all of our confinement is inconvenient. Uh, they, get, they get arrested if they go outside their door. They have to get written permission to go, to go anywhere, go to the store. Uh, uh, they have to be tested, uh, unbelievable amount of testing. And, uh, and he's living in, in two or three weeks out in the worst case scenario of what this thing can do. And it really was a wake up call to me. I, I don't think I was taking it very serious, um, but it just brought a balance that, that, that this is serious. And uh, we do have a chance to, to win this thing by obeying the government, by doing what they said, staying sequestered, staying alone, uh, washing, uh, the very thing that it's prescribed in Leviticus chapter 13 down to verse uh, or chapter 15. And um, I, I think we have an opportunity here to really, really win this thing, but it means obedience and it means discipline and it means taking this thing serious. Uh, what he shared with me, it didn't create fear and he wasn't intending to produce any fear, but it was very, very sobering because it's, it's, it's the future uh, of what this thing could go if it's just allowed to go unchecked, it's the future of what this thing could look like. And um, uh, he's in Italy, and it's just just a, a horrible, horrible situation over there. I say that not to produce any fear in you, 
but it, it did create a reality check for me. It was very sobering. I want that to happen to you. I want you to be sober about this. I want you to be diligent. I want you to obey. I want you to comply. I want us to go back to uh, uh, some kind of normalcy. But let me just say this. I don't want to go back to normal if it means going back to the way things were before. I think we should go deeper. I think we should come out of this thing uh, more in love with the Lord, more in love with each other, more in love with his word, more, more having spent more time in prayer. Um, I don't want to go back to normal. In fact, I don't think we will. I don't think any of us will appreciate um, what it is just to go to church, just to be able to see each other. Uh, we're in quarantine. I'm in personal quarantine because I've been traveling and going through airports. Um, it's an amazing time. And um, we have to win this thing. We have to win it on a faith level, on a spiritual level, an emotional level, a physical level. Um, and so I'm, I'm I, with all the people that I love up in Belleville and Ohio and Baltimore and Smithville and here, of course, in Penyan, I love you. I want us to win. I want us to gain the, from this. I want us to come out the other end of this thing. Uh, I don't want this to, to ruin our lives. I don't want this to be the end of something that's been uh, tremendously beautiful. So let's not impose our faith on people, but let's not impose our fears on people. Let's make be as civil and as generous. Let's take time to make phone calls every day. Uh, you should be writing when you're done listening to this. Write out a list of people that you're who potentially could fall through the cracks that no one's really reaching out to. Who are you going to call? Don't call your your best friend, your girlfriend. Uh, who you talk to anyway all the time, I, I would say make a list of, of your neighbors. Make a list of people that uh, you should be concerned for, and they, they should hear that someone's concerned for them. I've made my phone calls already this morning to the very people that I'm talking to you about that I, I care about who probably wouldn't get a phone call. I'd like you to, I'd like you to do that. I'd like you to read James chapter one, because uh, it's a prescription for, for a period of time that that church was going through a trial and it's a way to, to deal with it. Uh, and this next piece of advice, I, I really want you to take this to heart. I wish everyone would do this. Um, I rediscovered on my trip, my backyard um, uh, Bible study, uh, I got in the Psalm 91. It's a, a lengthy Psalm. And the last few verses, just even now, if I read them, they choke me up. They just, they, they, they move me. It talks about no plague coming near your dwelling place. And you put that on your heart, that this is my dwelling place. Uh, it, it talks about plagues. It talks about abiding. Uh, more than just believing, there's one thing to, to say, I believe, but it's another thing to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, God's calling us into a level of abiding that I think we don't really know how to do, including myself. Uh, but what I challenge you to do is, is take Psalm 91 apart day by day, read it every day, post it where you can read it, where you can meditate on it, where you can draw hope, faith, uh, the power of angels holding you up in their hands lest something happen to you. It just shows the heart of God, the care of God. I wish we could digest, ingest, and then digest Psalm 91 in some way that we can communicate it to our children and that peace can be communicated to them as well. Um, I just encourage you to, to go deep in the word of God, 
don't spend all your time on on Netflix and um, just wasting wasting this opportunity. Uh, most of us are not working. Most of us can't go to work. Our social life has been curtailed. Our busyness. This is a time to do some things that need to be done, decluttering and prioritizing and refocusing and falling in love again and um, reaching out to people again. I think that's where there's health for us as a church. And so uh, these are very unusual days and uh, I never thought I'd ever be given a sermon like this. I never thought I'd be talking to an empty auditorium. Uh, but let me just say this, I love you, I care about you, I want us all to get on the other side of this with, with something uh, that we never had before. And that's gotta be our goal, that has to be our, our, our objective. Again, just a reminder, next week, uh, we're buying some equipment so that we can do some things differently. We'll be able to post in all different kinds of media other than just Facebook. And uh, we'll have a, we have a Wellspring uh, channel on YouTube that we'll, we'll make most of. Um, there'll be podcasts, there's be different ways to communicate. Then the week after that, we will have some live worship uh, using families and couples that are already together uh, that doesn't, wouldn't violate um, the isolation requirements that, that the scripture requires for us to be able to stay safe. And so, anyway, we love you. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for everyone that's listening, <clears throat> that's listening to this message. Take us from faith to faith. Take us from glory to glory. Lord, we don't want to stay the same. We don't want to remain at the level that we've been at before. Take us further, take us deeper in every possible way. Lord, use this time to work something in us that nothing else would do. I pray that our people would be sober, sober-minded, faith-filled, joy-filled, love-filled. Father, help us, help us, take us there. Use this opportunity, I pray, to grow us. And we thank you that you're so big, you're so mighty, you care so much. Your, your eye is upon us, your ear is open to us, and you really care. No one cares like you. You care for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you.